Thank you to our senior adult choir. Uh, If you were here last week, you know last week we were led by our students as we celebrated graduation and the accomplishments of our graduates, and this week being led by our senior adults in in worship, and we're so grateful to both groups. And at Southside, we are a multi-generational church with a next-generation vision. So it is great to come together with the body of Christ of all ages and from all different walks of life and to be able to celebrate together. And glad you're here. Um, as I was coming, thinking about coming up on stage, I feel much younger this week than I did last week. <laughs> I'm, I'm the same age, but, uh, but I feel younger this week than I did last week. I, I don't know about some of you who are uh, maybe, maybe my age or, or uh, a little older, maybe even a little younger. There was a point, and I know exactly, it was 34 years old. There was this point where all of a sudden my body said, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. And, and suddenly things that I used to do and not think about, I, I had to think a great deal about. It, it was almost like, how many of you have ever done this where you go to a mall and you try to go up the down escalator. Anybody? Do, I know. I know my kids enjoy doing that. You might not want to admit you do that in church, but uh, going up the down escalator. So you know, when I was younger, it felt like I was climbing up, skipping steps up the up escalator. You know, if you're one of those sort of driven people and you're on an escalator, the escalator going up isn't fast enough, so you climb the steps while the escalator's moving. And so when I was younger, I felt like that's what I was doing. I was walking up the up escalator and then all somebody about 34 flipped the switch and reversed it and the escalator started going down and what happens if you are trying to walk up the down escalator you have to work a lot harder if you do nothing what happens yeah you go down that's how it is kind of with our bodies you know if you don't do anything you just sort of naturally descend into into chaos. Uh, it, it happens also with things we learn in life. I don't know if you've, maybe in school, you learned a band instrument, or, or maybe you played piano, had piano lessons when you were a kid. You know, if you don't use it, you lose it, right? Because any of those skills, if they're not maintained, if it's not something you, you hone, if it's not something you work on, it sort of goes into decline. It atrophies. Things you learned. Uh, if I know as my kids have made their way back through school and they bring home their assignments and their schoolwork, uh, I'm amazed at how much I have forgotten, like dates in history or things about science or things about math. And, and part of it is just unless you are moving up that down escalator, you are constantly in descent. And what I want to talk to you about today is the reality that our character development is much the same. That our Christ-likeness is much the same. For those of you who are here today and you would say, you know what, I'm a Christian. There was a point, uh, maybe you were the age of Eden or Ella, and you gave your life to Christ. And you were sort of on an upward-moving escalator. You, You just felt like your relationship with God was growing. And you felt like everything you saw was spiritual. Everything you read just sort of made sense. And you're moving up the upward escalator. But do you know what happens? The same thing that happens with our body, with our mind, with our abilities. At some point, that escalator, the button may be flipped. And the escalator may be moving down. And suddenly, you find yourself, if you don't do anything at all losing some of those character traits that you were given as you came to faith in Christ. Maybe Christ delivered you from an addiction. Maybe Christ uh, helped you overcome a bitter spirit. Maybe Christ helped you overcome some kind of anxiety in your life and you were so excited about your walk with Christ, but five years later, ten years later, thirty years later, as you look around, you realize something happened 
and you find yourself sort of slipping back down into some of those old ways of thinking, some of those old habits, and you think, how did that come about, and how do we sort of reverse that? Well, this morning I want to talk to you about that very idea, because it's something that Jesus said to his disciples, that he discussed with his disciples, as he was beginning to prepare them for his own departure. Jesus said, guys, I'm going to leave you. But I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. But, but there's something you need to know. There's something you're going to have to do if you are going to continue to follow me in my absence. Remember, they, they were, they were uh, so fortunate in that they walked with Jesus physically for three years, heard his voice, saw him with their eyes, touched him with their hands. But Jesus is saying, guys, it's not going to be like that for much longer. I'm going to leave The Holy Spirit's going to come, but you are going to have to do something if you are going to continue to follow after me. If you are going to continue to grow in Christ's likeness, if you're going to become more and more like me, there's something you're going to have to do. And so Jesus has been in the upper room with the disciples. They're leaving the upper room, and they're walking down out from the upper room, and they're making their way to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you remember, this was the place where Jesus would pray that prayer, asking God, if this cup can pass from me, let it be, but not my will, but your will be done. That's the place. The place where Judas is going to betray him, where the soldiers are going to arrest him. But there's a conversation that happens as they move from the room where they had the Lord's Supper to the garden. And as Jesus is walking on his way with the disciples, he is probably passing by a vineyard or a vine. And as they're walking by, which is, so, which is the time when so many important spiritual conversations happen, just as we're going from one place to another. If you're traveling in the car with young kids and the questions they ask, so many significant conversations happen on our journey from one point to another. And that's exactly what's going on here. So as Jesus is walking with the disciples, they're passing what's probably a vineyard or, or maybe there's just a grapevine that's growing. And he says to them, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now you are already clean because of the words I've spoken to you. Remain in me. And I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is withered and is taken away. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, this passage of scripture may be one of the most famous speeches that Jesus gave. 
And and it's sort of an object lesson, a prolonged object lesson. And what I want to do today is I want to take this object lesson apart and I want to look at the four metaphors that Jesus mentions in this passage of Scripture because it's important for us, for those of you who are here and, and you're a Christian, it's important for you to know and understand that your ability to be like Christ, your ability to continue to produce Christ's likeness inside of you is so dependent upon your understanding what it was that Jesus was saying to his disciples as they were moving from the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. Because Jesus wasn't only talking to the disciples, he was talking to you, and he was talking to me. So let's take a look at these four metaphors in John chapter 15, and uh, these verses 1 through 8. The first metaphor that Jesus mentions uh, that that I'd like to talk about is the idea of the fruit, the fruit that he's mentioning here. And and it's throughout the entire chapter, he's going to come back. The fruit is Christ likeness. It means to be like Jesus, that your life begins to resemble Jesus. Your words begin to sound like Jesus. Your actions begin to look like Jesus. You reflect him in what you do. The Apostle Paul called this the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit grows on vines in many cases. Grapes is what Jesus is particularly mentioning here. But the fruit grows on vine, on the vine. And, and Paul says this is the fruit of the Spirit. And he says it's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are all characteristics of, of the fruit of the Spirit. Christ-likeness that is born out in us. Uh, And fruit is the result of the Spirit dwelling in us and working through us. The, the, The fruit only comes as the vine stays connected to the branch. That's why Jesus said, listen, you cannot hope to produce these things if you are detached and separated from me. You may act like you're patient, You may act like you're kind. You may act like you're loving. But guess what? It's all artificial fruit. It's artificial. It's phony. How many of you have encountered, you don't have to raise your hand, especially if you're sitting anywhere in proximity of the person. How many of you have encountered people who they act all those ways, but you know, based on your interaction with them, that's not who they really are? They may, they may give off the impression that they're patient or the impression that they're loving or the impression that they're kind, but just beneath the surface, it's like an artificial piece of fruit. It's completely empty. It's full of air. There's nothing more to it. Jesus says, if you want to bear this fruit, you have to remain inside of me. Jesus, on a number of occasions, talked about vegetation. He talked about farming as an illustration. On one time, he said to his, uh, he said to his disciples, in Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, he was telling them how they could recognize other genuine, true Jesus followers. He says, you will know them by their fruit. That's how you'll know them. You'll recognize that they're really my disciples because their life is producing something that looks like me. It'll have these characteristics. The characteristics that you have come to recognize in me are the characteristics that will be inside of them. And it's also interesting, as he is talking to the disciples, passing by, he's saying, no branch can produce fruit unless it remains in me. And if it doesn't remain in me, it's taken away. Now, Jesus has just told the disciples in the upper room that somebody was going to betray him. That Judas was going to betray. And, and, and when they get to the garden, Judas is going to show up and betray Jesus with a kiss. And I have to believe that as Jesus is having this conversation 
with the 11 remaining disciples. In his mind, he knows what Judas is about to do. That Judas has traveled with Jesus, that Judas has been with Jesus all this time, but there is no good fruit being produced from Judas, and his life is going to be a tragedy. Do you know, there are branches that don't bear fruit. There are people that you recognize in your life who may call themselves Christians, but you see no evidence of fruit in their life. There are churches that go by the name Christian, but you don't see any evidence or fruit from that church of Christ-likeness. If Jesus traveled with 12 and there was one of the 12 who did not produce fruit, you could imagine that the odds are pretty good that we're going to encounter other people who go by the name Christian and other churches that may wear that label that don't necessarily produce fruit. Now, why do I say that? Because some of you are here and you have decided that you don't believe the claims of Christianity because you look at other people who call themselves Christians or churches that have the Christian title in it and you don't see evidence that those churches or those believers are in fact producing fruit. You may be right, but that doesn't, that doesn't change the fact that Jesus himself said there would be vines that would produce fruit and there would be vines that didn't. The fruit that Jesus is talking about is Christ-likeness, and we know it when we see it. The second metaphor he mentions are the branches, and this is us. This is, this is those of us who call ourselves Christians, we are the branches. And we have to do two things, two sort of comments that Jesus makes towards us, the branches. The first thing is that we have to remain in him. Now that's almost sort of a, a, a comment that Jesus is saying to, to remain is to take action, but it's almost passive action. It's to stay right where you are. And sometimes staying right where you are, abiding, as the word is in some translations, can be difficult. It can be a challenge. It's sometimes much easier to actually go away. But what Jesus wants his disciples to know, what he wants us to know, is that my effort is not what produces fruit. My my self-effort, my intellect, my, my skill, my ability, that's not what produces fruit, but it's my willingness to remain in him that allows him to do in me and through me what I cannot do for myself. Whenever I read this passage of scripture, I always think of an encounter that I had with a pastor one time who uh, was telling me about the time he had preached this passage. And he had talked a lot about uh, agriculture and the way vine dressers work. And he'd finished the, the message. And as he's standing down front greeting people, uh, an old man walked by. And he, he, said, uh, he said, hey, preacher. He said, um, I'm, a, I'm, a vine- I'm a vine dresser. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a gardener. I, I, have a, I have a grapevine. And I produce uh, how many ever thousands of bushels of grapes his, his farm produced every year. He said, uh, he said, you almost had it just right. He said the secret of the vine and the branch is that the vine staying connected to the branch, people think that the vine is sort of sucking out of the branch what it needs to produce fruit, like a straw. Like the vine stays connected to the branch and sort of draws the nutrients out and then is able to produce the fruit. The farmer told this pastor, he said that's not how it works at all. Vines don't suck nutrients out of branches. Branches push nutrients into the vine. All the vine has to do is stay connected. Guess what? If you want Christ's likeness to be born out in you, Jesus gave you the secret. Remain, abide in me, and you will produce fruit. That God will push into your life patience, 
kindness, love, peace, joy. Not that you have those things on your own and not that you are faking it, but the spirit inside of you as it flows from the branch into you, the vine, God will produce in you the character of Jesus Christ. The other thing that he says, so we're supposed to remain in him, but he says something else important in verse 8. He says, you remain in me and my word remains in, in you. That his word has to remain inside of us. Now, I want to talk just a little bit about this because I think this is a really practical idea for us today. And my hope is, as you leave this week, that you can leave with some practical tips, some practical ideas about how you can remain in God and Christ and how his word can remain in you. And and maybe through the course of this week, you would see some of this fruit being produced in your life. Because remaining in God's word is more than memorizing scripture, but it's not less than memorizing scripture. Let me say that one more time. Remaining in God's word is more than memorizing scripture, but it is not less than memorizing scripture. Now, I'm not going to ask how many of you are in the habit of memorizing scripture, but if any of you come on Wednesday nights or part of our midweek Wednesday experience here, you know that this year we've had our Awana children right before dinner come up and they'll say some verses And I've been convicted because I realize they are learning a lot more verses than maybe what I am learning. And I think some of you have felt that same sort of conviction. Why is it that we want our children uh, to learn so many memory verses? Because we believe what Psalm 119.11 says. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That it becomes something inside of us that the Holy Spirit uses to protect us and direct us and bring conviction. Now, do you think that that ends when we reach the age of 16 or 17 years old? Does temptation decrease the older we get, or does it increase? Now, I'm just asking because it seems to me that we're quick to encourage children to maybe memorize some verses, but as adults, we sort of walk away from that habit as if it's childish. And yet God's word, Psalm 119.11, is as true for us as it is for the children. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.105, the psalmist says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light on my path. But what happens if you don't have the light? then you're walking in darkness. The Word of God, abiding in the Word of God, having the God's Word abide in you is more more than memorizing Scripture, but it is not less. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. He said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in The law, the word of the Lord. And on that word, on that law, he meditates day and night. And listen to what it says next. And he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. How do we bear fruit? How do we bear Christ's likeness in our life? Well, it is certainly more than memorizing scripture, but it is not less. Now, why do I say, uh, why do I say that it's more than memorizing scripture? Because you can memorize scripture and not have God's word inside of you. Let me give you two examples, uh, and then actually give you three examples. The first example we've already mentioned, Judas. 
Judas was with Jesus for three years. Surely Judas knew all of Jesus' teachings. He could probably recite many of Jesus' teachings, and yet it was evidence that the Word of God was not inside of Judas. Another example, when Jesus was in the desert for 40 days fasting and Satan comes to tempt him, guess what Satan uses to tempt Jesus? Scripture. Everything Satan said to Jesus was a quote from Scripture. So Satan could have the Word of God memorized, but it doesn't mean that the Word of God is abiding inside of him. Jesus talking to the Pharisees. Now you have to understand, the Pharisees would have at least had the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. Probably the entire book of Psalms and many of the prophets memorized as well. Listen to what Jesus said to the Pharisees on one occasion. His voice, talking about God's voice, His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And here it comes. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Memorizing scriptures apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ is not the same as God's word abiding in you. So in order to have God's word abide in you. It is certainly more than memorizing scripture, but it is not less than that. And, 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 the next, and the next metaphor Jesus mentions here is the true vine. The true vine. And the true vine, he says, I am the true vine. Jesus is the true vine. Now, it begs the question, if Jesus is saying, I am the true vine, there must have been a false vine. Doesn't stand to reason. Why would Jesus add true to that, to that title if there wasn't an example, a false example of the vine. Now, if you've been walking with us through the Gospel of John, you know that John likes the number seven very much. He's giving us seven signs or seven of the miracles that Jesus performed. He's, he's recounted for us. He's also given us seven I am statements. And this is the seventh and last of the seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. He says, I'm the living water. I am the good shepherd. I'm the bread of life. All, and this is the final one. And what does he say? I am the true vine. So what would the false vine be? Well, when you go back and you read the Old Testament, almost from the beginning of the Old Testament throughout all of the, uh, all of the books of the Bible, you can find this image of a vine uh, that is used uh, by, the, by the different writers of the Old Testament. And in almost every occasion, this vine that was planted uh, did not produce the fruit that God wanted it to produce. Let me just read some examples for you. Psalm chapter 80, verse 8. You brought a vine out of Egypt... You drove out the nations and you planted it. That's Psalm 80, verse 8. He goes on to talk about this vine that was planted that went on to, it didn't produce what God wanted. And so God uprooted it. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 21. Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild vine? In Isaiah chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, My well-beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug all around it, removed its stone, and planted it with the choicest vine. And he built a tower in the middle of it, and also hewed out a a wine vat in it. Then he expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. In in every case, uh, the, the the, the Old Testament writer is referring to the nation of Israel. That this was a vine that God had planted, but it failed. It failed to do 
what God had intended it to do. And, and every time this, this image of the vine is used, the writers in the Old Testament are pointing forward to a hope for another vine. Another vine that will come that will produce the fruit that God intended. And in fact, we see in Jesus, in, in, in John chapter 15, verse 1, he says, I'm here, it's me, I am the true vine. Jesus is the vine through whom the fruit of salvation comes for all people. Now, we, we as Christians today can become easily confused between being connected to a true vine and trying to abide in or connect ourselves to false vines. Uh, let me give you the difference. Um, all of you got up this morning and for whatever reason, you came to church. You came today. Do not think that because you walked into a building and you sat through a program that that means that you are abiding in the true vine. The true vine is not religious activity. The true vine is not even the church. The true vine isn't even Bible study or worship or singing in a choir. The true vine isn't even giving an offering. The true vine isn't necessarily volunteering or serving. The true vine is Jesus Christ. And when we try to connect ourselves to anything other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, we will find ourselves withering up. Now, some of you have been in church a long time. And you wonder why your relationship with God isn't as vibrant today as maybe it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. One reason may be for you that you have been, become confused between the true vine and a false vine. The false vine isn't necessarily bad. It just cannot provide you what you need to bear the fruit that God is calling you to bear. And so if you think that simply your church participation and your church attendance is going to be what it takes for you to become like Jesus, you're mistaken. It's a false vine. The only way to stay connected is to be in an intimate, loving, daily relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. There is no other substitute for it. You see, Jesus draws life from the Father, and then he presses that life into us. He, he fills us with God's Spirit so that we can be empowered and equipped and filled to do the things that we cannot do on our own, to produce the fruit that we cannot produce on our own. Which brings us to the last metaphor in this passage the vine dresser, which is God. Jesus says, my father is the vine dresser. Now, in this passage, we see that the vine dresser does two things. The first thing is he looks for fruit, evidence of Christ's character. That's what God is looking for. He's looking for that uh, in you. He's looking for that in me. He's looking for that on a, in us on a Tuesday, just like he would like to see it on a Sunday. He's looking for consistent character traits of Jesus inside of our lives. That's the first thing he's doing. But the second thing that he's doing, and this is what we don't like so much, is he's cutting things. He's cutting off dead branches, and he is also pruning branches that are producing fruit, which led, uh, which led one pastor to say that you are either cut off or cut back, but you will be cut. You are either cut off or cut back, but eventually, you will be cut. That's what it means to remain in the vine. 
to be subject to the vine dresser as he makes his way through the vineyard, seeking to produce more fruit in your life. Discipleship is a painful, painful process. And if you aren't willing to endure that, if, if you are looking for a health, wealth gospel where everything about your Christian walk gets easier and easier and the paychecks get bigger and the health reports all come back good, you are looking for something that doesn't exist. It's a lie. Because Jesus clearly says that the vine dresser is cutting back the branches that even produce fruit in order that they might produce more fruit. And if you're not willing to subject yourself to to the vine dresser, to the cutting of the vine dresser, you will not grow spiritually. Listen to what the writer in Hebrews says, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 9. But he, God, disciplines us. For our good. Now, the word discipline is a word that in our ears in English um, often carries completely negative connotations. As if a child is doing something bad and the punishment is their discipline. And that is, that is true. That's a form of discipline. But discipline is a much broader term than that. Um, when, when the musicians who we were blessed to be led by today learned their skills on their instruments or as they learned to sing, uh, there was a discipline involved in that. It required a lot of hard work, a lot of hours. If you are involved in any of the arts of dance or theater or, or you're a writer, there's a discipline involved with those skills that, that takes time and it's sometimes painful and it costs you something. So when the Bible talks about discipline, that's part of what it means. The disciples were called disciples because the root of the word disciple is discipline. One who, is, one who is striving towards, working towards something, uh, some, sort, some sort of learning or some sort of wisdom. So the, the Hebrews writer says, He disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the, mo- for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. What's he saying? That if you want to yield fruit in your life, you have to be willing to subject yourself to the Lord's discipline. You are either being cut off or you're being cut back. This is why James said in James chapter 1, verse 2-4, through 4, Consider it pure joy. My brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. How are you doing in that? When something doesn't go your way, when there's a great disappointment or a great loss in your life, do you stop for just a moment and think about the fact that God may be pruning you in that moment? That this may be, in fact, God's way of fitting you for something better, of doing a greater work in you and through you, building something inside of you. I, I want to I I just point out one thing that I think is, is, is so important for us to, to understand as we consider this that, that was said by Pastor Tim Keller, um, the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian in New York. Whatever he prunes, God, whatever he prunes, is a gain to lose and would be a loss to keep. Whatever God is cutting out of your life right now is a gain to lose and it would be a loss if you kept it. Now that's a tough saying, isn't it? Because some of you in here right now are going through some terribly trying times. The things that you're losing are extremely painful and precious. But if you believe what Jesus is saying in this passage, 
That as God is doing his work inside of your life, he is pruning you in such a way that more fruit could be born in you. I know as I look back over my life, some of the most painful losses that I've endured, I look back and I realize how God has done some of his deepest work inside of me and around me through that painful loss. That God will never waste a hurt. And God's at work in your circumstance. The pruning that he is bringing about in your life right now is ultimately for your good that his fruit can be born inside of you. Think about this for just a minute. I, I just think, think about your walk with the Lord. However many years you've been walking with Jesus, my guess is that every single one of us would say that the times of our deepest growth came at our points of greatest suffering, not at our points of greatest success or accomplishments. It always comes when things are difficult. That's when it happens. There's a promise that Jesus ends this passage with. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. Now, people have abused this in lots of ways to sort of talk about a health, wealth, gospel, name it, claim it. If you ask for it, God will give it. That's not what Jesus is talking about. Jesus is talking in this passage about the fruit that we need to be bearing. What is it that you lack that you Uh, of Christ's character that you want to be born in you. If you are remaining in Christ and Christ's words remaining in you, all you have to do is ask for it and God will provide it to you. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. Matthew 7.7, ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door will be open to you. What character traits do you lack right now that you need to just ask God for. God, I am not patient, but I know the fruit of your spirit is patient, so will you give me patience? God, I cannot love this person. I don't have enough love to love this individual. Will you give me the fruit of your spirit? Will you bear love out inside of me? God, I am at the end of myself, and I cannot be kind anymore. Will you bear your kindness out inside of me. So just a few questions as we conclude. If you look on the back of your bulletin this morning, we, we got some information there for you. I'd like to, like to just ask you some questions and give you a challenge this week as you go about your week to just consider the fruit that God is wanting to bear in and through your life. How much fruit is being born in you right now? How much fruit is being born in you? What fruit do you lack that you need to ask God to produce in you? Now we listed the fruit of the Spirit underneath that. And here's what I want you to do. I want you just to take a pen, and I just want you to circle one or two of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit that you need more of in your life. And maybe right now it's love. Maybe right now for you it's patience. Maybe for you it's faithfulness right now or gentleness. But which of those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit do you lack? What would happen this week if you simply trusted God's word when he said, if you lack it, ask me for it, and I'll give it to you? Maybe, maybe you've been misinterpreting this verse and you've been praying for a new Mercedes or a bigger house on the river. It hadn't happened. And you're wondering why. Because I think what Jesus is saying, I'm not talking about I'm talking about the fruit that can be born out in you if you will ask me for it. How, much, how many times have you asked for those characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit to be born out in your life? How will you actively remain in the vine? Now, I put three things there for you to check. Look, look at these with me for just a moment. Intimacy with the Father. In other words, daily time with God. Each and every day, a quiet time in prayer. Interaction with the body of Christ. Being involved in a community of believers. And listen, this doesn't count, okay? This doesn't count. Because when you're involved in a community of believers, you're not sitting in rows, 
You're sitting in circles. Are you involved in a community of believers? And finally, integration of the word. Are you practicing God's word in your daily living? Which of those three do you need to focus on? Maybe you're good at two of them, but which of those three is your weakest? Is it intimacy with the Father every day? Interaction with the body of Christ? Integration of God's word? Just check one of those that you will focus on for the next week. And then finally, what habits will you establish so God's word will remain in you? Now this is going to take work. This is going to take effort on your part. Are you going to try to undertake a systematic reading of the Bible? You don't have to read through the whole thing. But we've been traveling through John for about 47 years now. And, and maybe some of you just need to go back and start at the beginning of John and just read a chapter a day. Maybe that would be enough. A systematic Bible reading. Maybe you need to memorize scripture. Memorize one verse a week. Review it every day. And then add a second verse the second week. Maybe some of you need to be involved in a, one of our grow groups. Which of those three will you commit yourself to as you seek to bear Christ's likeness in your life, as you seek to bear fruit? And finally, this morning, just as we conclude, I just want to say something to those of you who are here today who you're experiencing the pruning shears. You're being cut right now. There's something in your life that's being taken away. It's painful and it's hard. I'm just going to rephrase what Jesus said as an encouragement. Hang in there. Don't give up. Don't walk away. Growth is coming because growth always follows pruning. It's a law of nature and it's a spiritual law. If you are being pruned right now, if you will just remain in Christ and keep his word in you, growth will come and you will see God do some of his most miraculous work in the middle of your pain. And the second thing I would say to you is that God is nearer to you now than he's ever been. N.T. Wright says this, the vine dresser is never closer to the vine, taking more thought over its long-term health and productivity than when he has a knife in his hand. If, if you feel in your life right now that God is taking something away, that circumstances are changing, uh, there are loved ones who, who you're, you've lost or, or, or you're losing or you're watching someone who is struggling with health issues or, or you're losing your career or you're losing your dream, hang in there and trust that God is near to you. And he's bearing something inside of you. But you must remain in him. And you must have his word remain in you. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. We're going to sing um, in just a few moments. I'm going to invite you to stand with me and We'll sing a song, and um, maybe you would want to come and kneel at the steps here and pray. Maybe there's something that you've been looking at in your own life, and you have only counted it a loss. And James says, consider it pure joy whenever you go through trials. Maybe you have not considered the beautiful work that God may be doing in the midst of your pruning and maybe as you look back on your life, you, you look back at a time where you were much more like Jesus one year ago, five years ago, ten years ago than you are today. And the reason is simple. You just stopped, you just stopped abiding. You're just traveling down the escalator in the direction it's taking you. And maybe today you're hearing God's invitation to remain in him, to stay connected to him. 
and to let him produce in you what you cannot produce on your own. Father, this morning we come to you and we recognize and and know that you are the true vine. We have often sought other vines, other, other branches that we could attach ourselves to in the hopes that we might produce something that's lasting and enduring. And we've come up short every time. And we have felt withered and empty and drained. So Lord, today for the Christians who are here who feel that way, Father, I pray that they'll hear your spirit inviting them to just remain in you, to stay connected to you, the true vine. And Father, we invite you as a church to do in us what we can't do by our own effort, to produce fruit in us through your church, God, that would last for eternity, that would bring nourishment to a world that's starving, God. Lord, for those who are here whose lives are being pruned, Lord, they've suffered great loss. They're facing great loss, and they're grieving. And that's right that they would grieve, but today, God, I pray that they would be able to see hope past the grief, to recognize that you are near to them, and that if they will remain in you during this time of cutting and pruning, that you will bear fruit in them, that you will produce something beautiful in them, that no hurt is ever wasted. Father, we ask that your spirit would move in this time, speak to us and teach us, draw us to yourself, Fill us, Lord, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.